Let us pray. Here in your presence, Lord, something special happens. We, there we get to sing some songs together. But somehow when we're in this place, we feel your touch. We know you're touching us and touching the people around us. And so as we stand, and maybe even as we sit and bring our needs before you, we, we trust you, for you are good and you are God. And we ask you to touch us at our deepest point of need. Lord, you know what each of us wants. The deep desires of our hearts for ourselves and for others. The things that have kept us up last night, woke us up early this morning the loved ones and friends that we, we hold in our hands and our hearts daily, sometimes just pleading with you to touch them because we can't, we can't make a difference, it would seem. So we trust you. Lord, would you just place your hand on our shoulder and remind us of your presence. Remind us that you know our name and you know what we need even before we say a word. Remind us that you love us and that you are already at work in our lives. And we pray for those who are not here, we, who we bring before you, that they may know too that you are at work, at work in their lives, that they may know too that we are praying because they sense even in this moment something happening where they are. Would you break into their lives, reach into their fears, concerns, their needs, and remind them that you love them, that you care. And then, Lord, this morning we... We thank you for these, our sisters and brothers who are here with us today, for each person, for your grace revealed to us through them, your love revealed to them through us. We give thanks for Uncle Ray and his birthday tomorrow and Bronwyn, her birthday today, tomorrow too. For those who celebrate milestones and birthdays remind them that you are with them in those moments and in those milestones we pray that as a church we may increasingly display who we are show the world and show one another that you live in us so use us to make a difference in our world lord we know that you're probably going to have to begin some work in us so do that work remind us of what you want to speak to us about and say to us today Here's our hearts, Lord, we listen to you. Every now and then, preachers get given a subject by God that is uncomfortable and difficult. And so I, as I said to some this morning, I haven't slept much last night. 
because today's one of those days. For the past six weeks, we've been um, talking about how do we deal with these big questions of life? Kind of really, what does God expect of us? And, and it's interesting to, you know, because as we look back, when Alex started the series back in the, on the 8th of January, he preached that incredible sermon. It's a sermon I've been wanting him to preach here for about three years. Powerful sermon. Um, and uh, I was still off sick and, and watched online. And I, I watched as Alex was preaching, kind of, because you can get from behind on the video, you watch people going, yeah, agreeing with what he was saying. Uh, reminding us that the word of God and the blessings of God for every, are for everyone, including the pet dogs under the table. You can go and read that reading in Matthew 15 or watch the YouTube video. And so we kept on asking, what is it that God wants from us? My first Sunday back, I kind of spoke about, you know, having to deal with the fact that why has God given me 2023? Why am I here? Why am I even alive? And the reality is that all of us need to ask that question. Why are we here? What is our purpose? And what if our purpose was to, to reach out to others more than, just as much as what Alex said the week before, kind of making this a place where everyone is welcome and included. What, what if we are called to, to reach out to those who are outside, not just inside? And then Gene spoke um, about what does God require of us, a little bit more than what does God want from us. What does God require of us? To act justly? to love mercy and to walk humbly with God. And then we looked at the spiritual truth that Jesus wants us to follow him. That's, that's his call in our lives. Come and follow me and I will make you. And, and, and Jesus demonstrates how wide that call is, that he invites the weirdest people to follow him, like tax collectors and, and fishermen and terrorists, the unschooled. On Communion Sunday, we spoke about we started talking about what it means to follow Jesus. The fact that we are called to be salt. Salt which disinfects sin in the world and community around us. Salt which, which um, kind of keeps and preserves that which is good and right and true. And, and salt which brings the goodness, God's goodness, the flavor of God into our world. And that when we don't do that, when we aren't salt, uh, salt is thrown into the road. And that got me thinking, well... You know, what are, what are the things that, we, that, that Jesus expects of us, the T's and C's? And so last week we spoke about T's and C's, terms and conditions. If you love me, says Jesus, you will do what I ask you. Um, Jesus demands a change in us to live a different lifestyle because it's not about us, it's about him, about what he wants. And so today, normally the last Sunday before Ash Wednesday, uh, we would kind of head into kind of there, Lent, and, and in towards Easter, um, 40, 45, 48 days, or 47 days away. But we're going to go back to where Alex started us off on the 8th of January. What does God want from us? And so our reading today is a New Testament passage. It's taken from Acts chapter 6. And as I said at the beginning, I've been, I've been wrestling with this passage for some three weeks now. Uh, since God gave it to me. And so Acts chapter 6, from verse 1. Now in those days, the number of believers was growing. The Greek Jews complained about the non-Greek Jews. They said that the widows of the Greek Jews were not being taken care of, 
they weren't getting their fair share of food every day. So the twelve apostles gathered all the believers together, and they said, it, it wouldn't be right for us to give up teaching God's word, and we'd have to stop teaching to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven of your men. They must be known as men who are wise and full of the Holy Spirit. We will turn this important work over to them. Then we can give our attention to prayer and the teaching of God's word. This plan pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen. He was full of faith and the Holy Spirit. Philip, Procurus, Nicanor, Timon, and Parmenas were chosen too. The group, the group also chose Nicholas from Antioch. He had accepted the Jewish faith. The group brought them to the apostles. The apostles prayed and placed their hands on them. And so the word of God spread and the number of believers in Jerusalem grew quickly. Also, a large number of priests began to obey Jesus' teaching. The reality is that, that there were many, many issues in the early church. Don't believe for a moment that everything was manskin and ruisa, you know, moonshine and rose. Everything was simple and easy in the early church. They loved each other. They shared meals together and they kind of sold their positions and gave to everyone who was in need and it was really lacquer. Just remember that there were lots of issues. Last week we spoke about one of them. Now, remember that all of Paul's letters, most of the New Testament, were written in response to issues in local churches. Sometimes they were theological, but often they were relational or people issues. Last week we touched on the issue of the split in the church between uh, those who preferred Apollos and those who preferred Paul. Remember, in that context, a Greek-speaking context, Apollos was one of them. Paul was the outsider, a Jew. And so, so, so Paul, very, Paul very quickly kind of makes, makes it very clear as he writes to the church in Corinth, there is there's no distinction because we don't follow a person, we follow Jesus because each person is given a particular task to do. If they do what they're supposed to be doing, then it's okay as long as we all follow Jesus. Jesus first. You don't just follow people, even if it is your favorite minister. Now, very early in the life of the new church, at the time when people were still selling their property and giving it to one another and breaking bread in their homes on a regular basis and sharing the new faith, faith even in the face of adversity, probably in the first few months, maybe the first year of the early church, there was an issue. Now, in Jesus' time, if you were a widow or an orphan and you did not have family members who cared for you, you would literally die on the streets. There was no health care, no pension funds. And so there were many widows and orphans. Um, scholars suggest that because of the, the incredible wars in that region, uh, men were taken away to war, never return. And so their widows and their orphans were incredibly at risk. And so the church responded as the church did to the needs of the widows and orphans and made sure that they were collecting and distributing food and, and things, necessities to those widows and orphans. They took it very seriously. They made sure everything was provided for. Great plan. And then suddenly it blows up. It probably happened very publicly. Probably where the food was being distributed. And as I've said it before, when I read scripture, I kind of sometimes see it like a movie. I can almost... I can almost see it where one woman gets up and shouts in Greek across the room, Hey, 
Why are the Hebrew women getting first? Why do they get the best? We end up with the leftovers. And then another shouts, we also want first. And someone else shouts, it's not fair. And then, a big Hebrew mama gets up. And she stands with her feet apart, I can see it, and she puts her hands on her hips. And she gives a look that can melt steel. Her words like hand grenades that come flying out of our mouth. Of course we get first. We are God's chosen ones. We've always been. This is God's land, so we will get first. You hangers on, you're lucky to get anything. And then there's the silence. You know that silence that just hangs? And now the women are looking at each other, wondering who's going to make the first move. And at that moment, Peter and John come running in. Their eyes wide in surprise, their nostrils flared out of exertion and anger. And what's going on here, John shouts. Now remember, John's nickname, if you read the Gospels, is Thun the son of thunder. He wasn't a quiet guy. <laughs> so you can imagine John going, what's going on here? And as he shouts, the other, 12, the other 10 apostles come running from where they doing, be, have been doing ministry. And now all the women shout at the same time. The Greek women are shouting, they're getting more than us. The Hebrew women are shouting that they shouldn't get anything. The Greek women shouting, it's unfair. The Hebrew women shouting, no, we should get first. And I can just kind of see Peter just put his hand up and say, stop. Just be quiet. We've been, we've, been, we've been doing God's word, preaching and teaching, and now we're going to come here to deal with this nonsense? It stops now. We can't stop God's work every time you can't deal with each other in the way that Jesus told us. So now we fix this. So point seven men. And the reason for men is that women had really little standing in the community. Appoint seven men who are godly and filled with the Spirit. And let them deal with this. You choose them. And we give them the responsibility to making sure there's peace in this space. It's interesting that one of the first they choose is a guy by the name of Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit. And if you read on in Acts chapter 6, he becomes the first Christian martyr, martyred for his faith, who teaching the good news in the synagogues. These men are given the responsibility. Now it would seem that dealing with this issue, this big issue, bringing peace between opposing groups of women had a profound effect on the wider community. People who were not Christ followers noticed. And the faith and practice of the early church became so attractive that, that the weirdest people were attracted to Jesus. Even those who were previously opposed to Jesus began to believe his teaching like some of the priests. This was a big deal. Now, by now you've worked out that this is a racial issue. Very little to do with food. The Greek-speaking Christians versus the Hebrew-speaking Christians. Those who were newcomers in their faith to the, versus those who had always been in the faith community. Greek versus Jew. And remember, the Jews knew that they were chosen by God. The, new, the Jews knew they were loved by God. The, new Greeks, the Jews knew that they were cared for by God. And they believed that anyone who was a non-Jew, a Gentile, was outside of God's kingdom. But the problem with was that Jesus came in and ushered in a new kingdom. 
where the old thing is turned on its head. And Jews and non-Jews are all one in Christ. As I said, this probably happened right in the first year of the early church. A few years later, when Paul has now been converted, he has to write to the Christians in Galatia where similar things were had to be dealt with. An early church had begun to kind of believe that certain parts of the, king, of the community were more important than others. So Paul writes in Galatians 3.26. So this is a couple of years later when the church's theology has now been kind of crystallized a little more and, and Paul puts it in writing. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God by believing in Christ. This is because all of you who were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. You have put him on as if he were your clothes. There is no Jew or Gentile. There is no slave or free person, no male or female. That's because all are one in Christ Jesus and all who belong to Christ are Abraham's seed. So you will all receive what God promised. If you've given your life to Jesus, you're part of a new community a new family, a new society, Christ follower. But identity is hard. We all identify with our tribe. Identity is hard. I'm an Afrikaans Scotch Jew. Ha! Huh. That's a lack of mix mixture. Incidentally, my wife is an Afrikaans Jew. Her dad was, was Jewish by birth. Now, I can imagine what it must have been like for my Omar's family. My Omar was of Dutch Afrikaans descent, and she was the first group of girls who wrote matric in Afrikaans in what would later become Office Macy's Word. She married a Scotsman about 50 years after the Boer War. And the Boers, Afrikaners, hated the English. Can you imagine the conversations in that family? There's three boys, my dad, the eldest, grew up bilingual, speaking Afrikaans and English fluently. And I grew up speaking Afrikaans and English interchangeably. And that's my tribe. It's hard not to think like, and that's why every now and then I koe bikifani because that's who I am. And it's hard not to retreat into my tribe's thinking and the way of dealing with it. My, my late father was a little right of unrestrained in his thinking. And it's hard not to think like that. Now, add to that on a personal level, I get, I get very frustrated with incompetence and non-performance, which is probably why I'm so hard on myself. I'm a bit of a perfectionist to illustrate that in the days and, and Bronwyn is very glad that we don't live like that anymore. But in the days when everything in around the church was printed, we used to print notices um, and stuff to hand out um, leaflets at the church. We used to print them on a Friday and then hand them out on a Sunday morning. And, and somewhere on Friday afternoon or maybe Saturday evening when I'm kind of preparing for the last things for church, I would notice a significant spelling mistake or grammar issue or something that was not quite right with the printed notices. I would literally redo them and go, go back across to the office sometimes later class, right on Saturday night and would reprint them. He's very glad. <laughs> I can see just... 
Nah. Yeah, fortunately, we send them out electronically mostly, so it's just very easy to change that. I'm super hard on myself when I don't do something I said I would do. And and so when, when I have to deal with home affairs, and I do so on a regular basis because I'm a marriage officer, been a marriage officer for 30 years, um, you get very frustrated when, when there's somebody there who doesn't know what they're doing. And, and sometimes it's sad and also a little satisfying when I say to them, well, phone your boss or call your boss and let's check whether I'm right or wrong. And then they get on the phone and you can see by their face what the boss is saying. It's frustrating when suddenly for no reason, Twani Accounts takes my electricity meter off my account. And so since April last year, I've been having to cal calculate manually what my electricity consumption is. Fortunately, with the solar and the meter, I'm able to do that and I've paid extra. But since then, every second month, I send them a letter saying, please put my meter back on the system since April last year. I get just as frustrated as you are with potholes and there's some mean potholes around Pretoria at the moment <laughs> um, with the rain. Get just as frustrated when street lights don't work or water and sewerage leaks. Fortunately, in Centurion, they take water and sewerage leaks a little more seriously than anywhere else. I was just as saddened as you were driving on the bottom road um, to Littleton as, as we watched systematically the railway, the railway cables, the electric cables being stolen during lockdown. And now it's taken months and months. They started, I think, last year, October, uh, if not September, and it's still not up and running. Excuse my French, but I'm just as pissed that we are stage six load shedding as you are. But it's not actually load shedding, it's rolling blackouts. And it seems that the government's response is to appoint a minister of electricity. So someone said, no, it should be the minister of no electricity. That would be better, a better name. And remember, most of our congregation doesn't live on midstream where the 200 million solar battery installation will make a difference. Most of us live outside and are affected by it. So I get the frustrations that we have. I get that, that, that the pressures and the struggles are kind of just, it just weigh on us every day. It just seems to be harder and harder to live the life that we want to live. I get it. And I get it that often a church, the church is supposed to be this place where we, where we get a break where we just come and just be and, and worship and, and can just be at peace. The place of refuge and solace. But what the church can never be is a place where the beliefs and values of the world and the society out there are mirrored in here. Jesus doesn't allow us that. The early church fathers don't allow us that. And as we've been journeying with these questions of life, why are we here? What is our purpose? Alex reminded us that this place is a place where everybody's supposed to be welcome and feel at home. Jean reminded us that God requires us to live justly, and justice is not just for us, but for all of us. The rules of the, you know, it's not just um, the rules that the church has added on, it's the T's and C's that Jesus places before us. And by the way, those of us in church leadership will tell you that it's, it's always like that. 
try and try and change something in the church. Try and kind of plan to do something new or different. And and the one of the things you have to do when you do that is to kind of plan how you will respond to those who will moan or object or complain. And so you prepare well, and then somebody comes with a complaint that you just haven't anticipated. <laughs> like, you thought about that? I never thought we'd ever end there. So friends, Jesus doesn't allow us the luxury of just saying, I grew up that way, that's who I am. Jesus also doesn't allow us the freedom of keeping quiet in matters of justice or love. We're not given the choice to remain as we were before Jesus. Because Jesus loves you with such an intense love that he sent Christ to the cross for you. And that's why we're saying, here is love, earlier in the service. But remember, he loves the person next to you with that same love. Jesus loves everyone in this room exactly the same, irrespective of education, of culture, irrespective of language, irrespective of gender, irrespective of where you were born, irrespective of your status, irrespective of where you live or your home is. Jesus loves us all. And so Paul makes it very clear in Galatians that there is no Jew or Gentile, no slave or free, no male or female, because you're all one in Christ. Not my words, but Peter's words. Sorry, Paul's words. If you, if you want to know what Jesus says about that, because often people say, no, but what does Jesus say? Well, Jesus says, the greatest commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. And the second is exactly as important as that. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. And then he, and then he shocks his, his, his hearers by preaching that sermon on the Good Samaritan. Samaritans who were hated by, by the Jews, but did what God wanted. So as I close, I want to, I want to maybe draw some lines in the sand. And tell you, I, I can't tell you what we, all the things that we're going to do going ahead. Our execs meeting on Tuesday leaders meeting um, early next month or late this month. But what I want to say to you is we're not not going to talk about this stuff. We're not going to keep quiet. We're not going to pretend that some are happy and some are unhappy and vice versa. We're not not going to talk about it. We're also not going to do, as some have suggested, to ask the ladies who want to sing after the service to go out the side door and sing over there. We're not going to do that. And it has been suggested. I mean, last week in response to, to my message about choosing life, when the ladies walked out of church, they sang, we will walk in the light. They, ch they said, we choose Jesus. How, how must we say no to that? I mean, just... We're also not going to make ministry during and after services difficult. Ever since I've been here, often, often, when we do ministry after service, I have to say to the sound guys, please turn the music down. We're trying to pray up front. And we've spoken with the ladies who sing, and we say to them, if there's ministry up front, remember, ministry first. Personal preference second. We're not going to stop singing the occasional hymn in a language that is different other than English. 
we will sing some Afrikaans. We will sing some Zulu and Sutu songs, some Hebrew songs. But ever since I've been here, one of the things that you will have noticed is that when we sing something in a language other than English, we try and put the English translation on. Because we, we, we're a congregation that worships in English. It's our identity. It's the one thing that makes us unique in this area. So we'll keep doing that. But we will make space. Because we're all brothers and sisters in Christ. And as far as as far as is in us, we will try and live that out, recognizing that we're all one in Christ. The first congregation that I was ministering on my own up in Palaboa, um, it was a mining community, and those who've been lived in mining communities will know that mining communities are the most class segregated on the planet. Boerdorp onerdorp. Officials, administrators live in the fancy houses, artisans and workers in the less fancy houses. And so when I moved to, to Palaboa, I was incredibly blessed to have in that congregation the, the senior mine managers and ops managers, the senior artisans, and then just ordinary people who worked on the mine, um, artisans and flocks in the same congregation. But what made that congregation kind of special in my time was that the, the senior mine manager was a deeply committed Christian. Man. In fact, um, Rory worshipped here with us a couple of times during last year. And I remember one Easter when I preached on, on you know, asking God to forgive give you for your sins and We'd invited the congregation to take a piece of paper and to write their sins on them and to then to come and nail them on a cross, which we'd place in the front of the church. The first person up was the mine manager, nailing his sins on the cross. It set the tone for the church. Was here was someone with great influence, demonstrating that he knew he needed Jesus. And so it changed the dynamic in the church. And friends, we, we have the choice to be like that. We have the choice to set the tone for what happens in this place. By putting others first. By loving others as we love ourselves. By loving God with all of our hearts and minds. By being Christ followers. And I know that's what God wants. You cannot read the New Testament and not know that. So I want to invite you to pray, pray for our church, ask God to show you how you can make a difference and how you can be part of those who transform this place into the kind of place that Jesus would walk in and say, I want to be part of this for the sake of the kingdom. I'm not going to come to the door today. If anybody wants to come and chat, I'll be up front. We're going to just sing one song as we leave. It's a song based loosely on our covenant prayers, and we haven't done a covenant service this year, but loosely based on our covenant service, um, which kind of says, you know, 
Here's my life, Lord. You, you use me for what you want so that your kingdom may come. Yes, Lord, that's our prayer, that you would help us to live for you. To recognize that when we do that, we become attractive to the world. When we do that, people recognize that they need to take you seriously because you change everything. And when we do that, possibilities become endless as to what you're able to do in this space, in this community, in our lives, together and individually. So send us out now, Lord, not, not with a heavy heart, but a, a sense of what is it that God wants? What is it that we can do next? What is it that, that we can be because of who you are? Bless us, we pray. Keep us safe with us. Work in our lives, we plead. 